stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, my first uh, words are going to be to send out um, prayers and, and wishes for all the people, not only all the people in Boston and all the people who were touched by the tragedy directly, but we've all been touched by the tragedy. Um, you know, the people who, person or people uh, who planned that attack, the Boston Marathon attack, were obviously um, either connected to Al-Qaeda or formally connected to some other to- terrorist organization or are terrorist wannabes, but whatever it turns out to be, one thing is certain, that they knew what they were doing in terms of planting and planning, (laughs) planting bombs and planning an attack that would remind us in many specific ways of 9-11. Two bomb blasts um, near each other on the same street, um, at a, in a mid-city in, with buildings coming crashing down uh, on a beautiful day where um, people are, are, you know, all of a sudden there's blood and there's panicked people running away on a day that seems incongruous with such an event. And uh, so, you know, all of these things, these similarities are unconsciously triggering our mind and bringing back these memories from uh, from 9/11. You know, the triggering our post-traumatic stress disorder and bringing back these memories. And as many of you know, I, I after 9/11, I've I wrote a book called uh, Coping with Terrorism: Dreams Interrupted. And I was tempted to um, to change the plan for the show today and talk about that instead. But then I realized that the topic and the guest that I have for today is actually very much in um, keeping with survival and uh, in a helpful, positive way, um, you know, so that you would learn something that um, would be helpful. You know, everybody's course that you have to ask yourself what if i were in uh one never knows when well if you break through your denial one never knows where the next terrorist attack will happen and certainly i hope the one thing um, i hope this is broken through some of the denial of people and uh, who are telling themselves that um another terrorist attack like 9-11 is never going to happen or the government is going to foil all the terrorist attacks um, 
And so, really, uh, people need to prepare. And I'm not talking about buying duct tape. I'm talking about preparing themselves as if they're running a marathon because, indeed, uh, terrorists are in this for the long run, so to speak. Um, and they are, they're not going to change their mind about wanting to destroy the West. And so we have to change what we do to be healthier psychologically and physically to be able to withstand this marathon of years, this race in a sense, uh, until, until the day when the war on terror has been won uh, by the West. But in the meantime, um, we need to make sure that we are at our peak performance, so to speak, and not, you know, not in some, uh, um, I don't know, a bumper st- sticker kind of way, but really uh, in a very serious kind of way. And so that brings me to today's guest, Dr. Carrie Prezant, who um, is the author of a new book called Surviving American Medicine. So if... <laughs> God forbid you are ever, uh, well, although it's less likely that you're going to be a victim of a terrorist attack than that you might be a victim of cancer or a heart attack, um, still, we, the topic on the, on the table today is, um, is keeping healthy. And so Dr. Prezant is, uh, Prezant is um, going to tell you just how to do that. The book is called Surviving American Medicine, How to Get the Right Doctor, right hospital, and right treatment with today's health care. Dr. Prezant is an internist, he's a hematologist, and also an oncologist, and he is known as a national expert on health care. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Carol. It's nice to talk to all, all of your listeners today. Yes, you know, when, these, um, when tragedies happen, that when things come out of the blue, uh, and that can be a terrorist attack or it can be a heart attack for that matter, um, we're, th- we're thrown into a tizzy. And that's not the time, I mean, obviously, if you're not in your, in your own hometown or, you don't, or if it's an emergency situation where you're taken to you know, a, fo- a hospital or a doctor that you don't know, there's nothing much you can do about that except, you call, except call your doctor um, when you're able to do that or your family member is able to do that. But... What we can do um, before such things happen is to establish ourselves with a, a very safe and, um, and knowledgeable network and caring network of physicians and hospitals around us so that we know where we would like to be when something happens. Well, I think this is very important because putting the right team together to help you with your health care, preventing illness, taking care of illness when it occurs, taking care of symptoms when they're challenging you, it might be in today's uh, moment with anxiety or depression or fear. Other times it might be fatigue or pain uh, or a loss of weight. But having that team together is so very, very important. And in my book, Surviving American Medicine, I talk a lot about finding the right resources, finding the right team to put together. And it starts with having health insurance. Very, very important because if you have health insurance, it enables you to have the key to get to a doctor, a hospital, a consultant, a specialist, uh, getting to people that you need to get to to take care of your body for prevention and also for taking care of illnesses and conditions. So starting well, now, with insurance. Well, wait, then, now isn't that so? Um, I mean, you know, I'm sure people hear that and they 
I mean, it's a very confusing time in regard to insurance. People don't know. Maybe they have insurance. Maybe they don't have. Well, if they don't have insurance, they're just hoping that uh, Obamacare can't come soon enough. Um, but, but for those people who do have insurance, even with all the changes that this um, affordable, you know, poorly named Affordable uh, Care Act. Um, is supposed to bring, I mean, I think this is, both for doctors and for patients, this is a very confusing time. So how do you start with that? Well, uh, I have a whole section in the book, Surviving American Medicine, which is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, iUniverse.com. This book is uh, one that deals with specific tips on various aspects of healthcare. And there's a whole section on finding healthcare insurance, using a uh, an healthcare insurance agent to help you find it, using a human resources uh, person at your place of employment, uh, or using social services if you're if you're an underserved or uh, a poor type of uh, person or come from a poorer family uh, and can't look for uh, other forms of health insurance. But finding people to help you to choose a type of health insurance, once you have it, the question is, will you be able to keep it? And, of course, with health care reform, we've been promised that we can always keep our health insurance, but it doesn't always work out that way, does it, Carol? Because so many employers are now planning to drop their insurance, and so many insurances are changing their coverage. So a person today with health care insurance needs to be able to speak to the insurance company, has to be able to speak to the agent who helped them to find the insurance, to make certain that their coverage is still okay, has to be able to talk to their employer who's actually providing insurance in in many cases where you're getting it through work. And by doing that, you can make certain what exactly the limits of your coverage are and are they changing from day to day because we see a lot of that happening. So when a person is facing symptoms, is facing a need for prevention, knowing that you have health insurance and knowing that it covers the area that you're concerned about. For example, today it might be knowing that you can cover mental health issues, uh, knowing that you can cover anxiety and depression or fear, uh, knowing that this that it's covering the doctor's visit where you will discuss those kinds of symptoms with the doctor and be able to get referred to the appropriate mental health uh, care provider uh, and take care of the symptoms so that they don't begin to overwhelm you and overwhelm your life. Those are very, very important issues. And today what we're seeing is that insurance is becoming more expensive. Uh, That's an outcome that was predicted uh, other than by people in Congress or by the president. Uh, But it was predicted by other advisors nationally that Healthcare is going to get much more expensive with this. It's logical that that would happen when you try to cover 30 million more people. Uh, so it's become more expensive, and because it's become more expensive, health insurers, the insurance companies, are trying to limit their expenditures, and they're cutting down on how much they approve. So another mm-hmm. section in my book, Surviving American Medicine, deals with that issue. What happens when your insurance company says no? What happens when you get the denial of authorization for something your doctor may feel you need? Maybe it's an MRI, maybe it's a CAT scan, maybe it's a medicine to prevent some illness. Well, what can you do in that circumstance? And I give tips in uh, the chapter that uh, deals with that about, number one, why it's happening with regard to describing health care reform, and also the tips to appeal any denials and to make certain your doctor 
describes the need for a particular treatment very well, make certain that you keep records of it, make certain that you talk personally to someone at the insurance company and document it by a follow-up letter or a follow-up uh, note to the, uh, to the uh, insurance company to make certain that it is fully documented, not just a scribbled note that I talked with so-and-so, but a note where you address it to someone and send it in, and how to utilize second opinions, how to utilize specialists to help to get a confirmatory recommendation for a treatment or a test that you may need, and also how to go even beyond that. What happens when the insurance company still stonewalls you? So I make recommendations in there of how to approach uh, the insurance company using a lawyer's letter. So you find a lawyer or find a friend who's a lawyer uh, to write a letter on your behalf, appealing and uh, denial. And also how to use the state health uh, system to help you with your interactions with the insurer. So there are state departments of insurance they get very, very upset when an insurance company is denying a needed test or treatment, and they will take up your issue with that insurance company, and very often that changes uh, the answer from no to changing it. Oh, of course, we meant to approve that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Here's a yes for you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very interesting. Um, we do need to take a break. My guest is Dr. Kerry Prezant. Uh, his book, again, is called Surviving American Medicine, How to Get the Right Doctor, Right Hospital, and Right Treatment with Today's Healthcare, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 
5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about surviving American medicine with my guest, Dr. Carrie Prezant, who is the author of Surviving American Medicine. And um, something that is very important to have, a really, you know, it's interesting. The cover of your book is this, um, I don't know if that's you, but it's a doctor. I mean, you don't see the head. So it's a, a doctor's, uh, I love it, a doctor's white coat with a stethoscope around your neck, the doctor's neck, and a, a red, white, and blue tie, of course, which goes with the red, white, and blue of Surviving America. Great cover, Surviving America. And it's very um, there's something very sort of calming about it, very, uh, you know, like you'd want your doctor to be um, facing you with this kind of calm, uh, calmness, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you figure this all out kind of attitude. Well, and that is the kind of doctor we all want to have. Yes. Uh, your doctor doesn't want, have to wear a white coat. He doesn't have to wear a red, white, and blue tie. <laughs> uh, but you do want a doctor who will be very calming. And in the book, I stress finding the right doctor for you. And there are tips of how to do that. First of all, you have to look at your doctor and say, well, the doctor is really a generally well-regarded doctor, but is this the right doctor for me? Can I talk with the doctor very easily and freely? Will the doctor take time out from typing in his computer or uh, writing her note in the chart? Will the doctor take enough time out so that uh, she or he actually looks me in the eye and listens to me as a patient? And it gives me an answer that I need to hear in a way that I can really understand it. Understand it enough so I can write down the answer in a little pad. Uh, I can take it home and discuss it with my family. Someone who really, a physician who really cares about me, and that care is reflected in how they approach me. And it's not, oh, I'm coming in. What's your symptom today? Oh, I got to go. Bye. And suddenly they're out the door, and you're wondering what exactly just happened. With healthcare reform, one of the bad effects that it's had is with the requirement for note-keeping, with the requirement to use electronic health records, with the focus on intercommunications uh, with other doctors. Uh, with all of these, the doctor is really less focused on the patient, and the visits are much shorter than ever yes. before. Yes. Therefore, we have to, you and I as patients, we have to focus on getting our doctor's attention and... Doctors need to realize that if they don't give that attention, the patient's going to walk and go someplace else and get a second opinion. Yes, well, that that is one of the biggest complaints that um, you know that the doctors sit because they can't. I mean, it's, well, it's possible with a laptop, but even then, they're looking over the laptop. I mean, most often they'll sit to the side or even with their back towards the patient, typing away um, for these electronic health records. And, um, I mean, that's just awful. It is so, when you think about what the view, what the image of the American doctor was, the family doctor, um, some years ago, and, um, of, you know, the doctor who comes to your home, um, or at least if you go to his office, there's sort of something very, uh, very homey about it. Um, certainly he's not as rushed, he's not typing in his computer. Uh, he's carrying his little black bag. I mean, all these things that we that are now um, 
uh, well, that a lot of people are nostalgic for uh, because it meant someone who was going to be focusing on you and spending as much time uh, diagnosing you and treating you and, and uh, paying attention to you as you need. And now it is this wham-bam, wham-bam, thank you, ma'am kind of thing because, because doctors are so stressed um, trying to get in enough patients to be able to pay their mortgage or their, well, their mortgage at home, but even their office rent. Well, that's true. And I think that dealing with tips for the listener today, one of the most important tips is find a doctor who will actually perform like you want them to. There are some patients who want a zippy uh, visit and I'm in, I'm out, and they haven't told me anything bad, and I'm happy about that. <laughs> and there are other patients who more appropriately say, I want my doctor to answer my questions, so I'm going to bring in a list of questions. I don't want that to inhibit them. I want that to encourage them to answer the questions. Number two, uh, they want a doctor who will actually talk with them in an understandable fashion so they don't have to translate some foreign language and they don't have to have a nurse explain what the doctor just tried to explain. So you want someone who can communicate very effectively and someone who, just like our image, is willing to put a hand on your shoulder and say, I can take care of this with you. Mm-hmm. And I can do things that will help you to have better health, both by prevention and by taking care of symptoms. And if you have a problem, I want to hear from you. I want the patient to call me to uh, actually go over things that are not working out well. Uh, You don't want someone who will just try and get you out of the office as fast as possible. So in my book, I try to give tips about how you can do that. Bring in a list of questions. Write down answers. Bring in a person with you who can help you, a friend or a family member, who can help to draw the attention of the doctor to you. And if the friend or family member doesn't really understand, that person can ask questions on your behalf to say, listen, I need to have you repeat that so we can Mm -hmm. really understand that together. And then today we have, so many of us have have smartphones. Uh, We can use a smartphone as a recorder and actually record Hmm. the doctor's advice so we can listen to it again at home and make certain we got it all straight. And even if you don't have a smartphone, for about 20 bucks, you can buy a little inexpensive tape recorder at uh, any kind of electronic store and use that and ask the doctor's permission to record the advice. Now, some doctors may say, oh, no, no, I don't want to be recorded. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a sign maybe you need a second opinion mm-hmm. from a doctor who really mm-hmm. is willing to work with you uh, because a doctor being recorded means the patient really wants to listen to that advice and make certain they get it right. And from the doctor's perspective, it's so much better than saying, uh, take medicines A, B, C, D, and E, and hoping that the patient really will remember that when they get home. Right, and and because people are generally so anxious when they're visiting the doctor, worried about what the doctor's going to say is wrong with them and so on, it really interferes with listening to the doctor's recommendations. It really does. The scariest thing is to go and see a doctor. Uh, you're not scared when you take a car in to get the car fixed, but boy, you're scared when you go into the doctor worried about what's going to be coming next, not just because it could be expensive, but it could, I mean, these tests sometimes create a little bit of pain or discomfort and you've got to schedule them and take time off from work, take time out from your family. It's a, it's a difficult thing. So your doctor, she or he, uh, really needs to appreciate how stressed the patient may be and expect that the patient 
needs to have a little more time, a little more explanation to get things right, especially to get advice on when you might need a treatment that has side effects, to describe all the side effects, to describe all the benefits, to know what options are that you have in place of a particular test or treatment, and to know exactly that the patient and the doctor can work together for what we call shared decision-making, you know. That's a zip word that is in all the newspapers and magazines and the media. Shared decision-making means that the patient has some responsibility to say yes or no to any treatment that's being proposed. That means the patient has to really get the information about the pros and cons of anything and the other options that are available and how much it's going to cost them. Will the insurance company provide authorization for it or not? And what are the options if they don't? So... In the book, we have lots of tips about how to make certain you're getting the complete information that you need. And if you're not getting the information, I have my Ten Commandments on second opinions. When you need to get a second opinion, what type of second opinion you need, and where you can get that second opinion. Um, you know, it, it's a whole paradigm shift, what you're talking about, sharing the responsibility, um, you know, which, yes, is more needed now than ever before because of, um, because of there being less time and because of the insurance being so much more complicated and, and treatments being more complicated for that matter. Um, and, and, but people, you know, this isn't the model that we're used to. It used to be, uh, like the, the, the doctor was, um, like a father or a mother, <laughs> and um, you know everything. People left the responsibility to, uh, as far as being treated or cured or you know telling them what to do to the doctor. Um, but now, so the idea of oh my god, you mean I have to find out about these illnesses and this is all confusing and. I read about all this stuff on the Internet, and one website says something different than another website. How am I supposed to make heads or tails out of this? Well, this is a time in medicine, in American healthcare, when more is expected of patients than ever before. And one of the reasons I wrote the book is because no one has training in how to really be a good patient. No one has training in terms of how to get the information they need to help the doctor make a decision. And because of that, we need to know what are the resources that are important. How do we ask questions? Where do we go on the Internet for information? And how do we share that information with the doctor effectively so that the patient actually can say intelligently yes or no to a treatment? So often uh, in the past, a surgeon came in and said, Oh, Mrs. Jones, you need a uh, you need an operation. Uh, we'll do it tomorrow. Is that okay? And no discussion of the pros or cons. No discussion of what the side effects might be, long-term consequences, or what the mortality might be, or what the morbidity might be. What kind of problems might keep me in the hospital and things like that? Today, more is expected of the patient in understanding intelligently what are the side effects of a treatment or a surgery. And so the book helps to tell how you can get that information by giving you specific questions uh, that you can ask your physician so that she or he can answer everything before you have to make a decision to say yes to it or no, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. It's, um, it's just, a, a, I guess, a, a fact of modern society that we have to become more more 
comfortable with. Um, we need to take another break. My guest again is uh, Dr. Carrie Prezant. His book is called Surviving American Medicine, How to Get the Right Doctor, Right Hospital, and Right Treatment with Today's Healthcare. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. So stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Do you find yourself tearing pictures of rooms out of magazines? Do you watch certain movies and TV programs because of the homes they show? Are Sundays reserved for open houses? Then you are a home dreamer. And someday, you will build or renovate your dream home. Steve Plipp has spent three decades learning how to win at the dream home game. His show, Winning the Dream Home Race, can be heard every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Let Steve Plipp help save you money and make you a winner. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Dr. Kerry Prezant. He is the author of a new book called Surviving American Medicine. Um, I want to talk about uh, what, because I, I think it's so important, you know, everybody kind of tends to believe um, that, that oh, well, we're going to be this new Affordable Care Act, we're all going to get um, insurance or treatment free, um, you know, through insurance, through, I mean, not that people understand what this is, and I'll admit, I, I you know, there's a lot of it that I don't understand, I didn't read the thousands of pages. Um, in the bill, but um, but there's a real downside that people need to be aware of. I mean, just because there's a bill saying or a law or whatever it is now saying that you you're going to get insurance or you're going to get this kind of treatment doesn't mean that there are going to be doctors there to give it to you. In fact, there was something in the news today um, about how because the Care Act will give. Uh, more access to uh, people with addiction um, that that really the number of people 
who are addicted to various substances will, of course, overwhelm a system that, at least the system that's there now, um, to treat addiction, just as an example. But really, it's going to be overwhelmed. If all these people go for treatment in what, for whatever um, medical issue they have, not just addiction, it's going to be overwhelming a system. And part of it is because not all the doctors are on board with this. Well, I think that's very true. The system is changing dramatically. So the first question a listener has to ask their doctor, uh, ask her or him, so with this change in the health care in the United States, are you planning to stay in practice? Are you going to change the structure of your practice? And are you still going to be willing to take my insurance? Because many doctors are saying, well, if Medicare change has, changes as dramatically as it appears to be changing, I'm not going to take Medicare anymore. Uh, you can come and see me privately, but you're going to have to deal with the Medicare system yourself. Other doctors are saying, I've had it. I'm hanging up my shingle. I don't want to uh, work anymore. I'm retiring. Some doctors are saying, I can't do this alone. It's overwhelming me. I'm going to join a network. And if they join a network, it's uncertain whether they'll take your particular insurance or not. Some doctors are just selling their practices to a hospital, and then suddenly they're an employee of a hospital, and they have to follow the guidelines of what the hospital wants. Do they want more patients admitted to the hospital? Do they want more patients kept out of the hospital? There were a couple of very good articles in the New York Times about individual hospitals where they were putting pressure on physicians to uh, do things that might not be the way they like to practice medicine in the past. So what's going to happen with your doctor? And so the first thing that uh, a listener should do is to say, I need to have that discussion the next time I see my doctor so that she or he can answer my questions appropriately about what's going to happen in the future. Because I might have to find another doctor. I might have to find a different hospital. I don't know what's going on. So the next question is, with the Affordable Care Act, what's going to happen in terms of how the doctor will take care of me, assuming that they're going to continue in the same practice and they're going to continue to take my insurance? And the answer is doctors will have more patients to see in less time and more responsibility to type in all their notes into a computer. So what that means for the patient is there will be less time in the visit, and very often they will not see their doctor. So the doctor, he or she may be off uh, doing something else, and the patient will see a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant in place. Yes, that's one of the things that is driving me up a wall as a psychiatrist. Well, even, I mean, not just, um, I mean, there are these these people... Uh, nurse practitioners who call themselves, what do they call themselves, like psychiatric nurse practitioners or something. And, I mean, I have seen one of the things that I do besides see patients, and, and no, I, I stopped taking insurance a long time ago because I just couldn't deal with all the paperwork. I didn't want to spend more time doing paperwork, trying to get the bills paid, than seeing the patients. But... um you know, one of the things um, that so, so what I've been also do is that I'm a psych, I'm a psychiatric expert witness, and I have seen in the last oh um, you know every there are different things that trend as far as cases different you know sexual harassment was very popular some years ago now it's medical malpractice 
medical, psychiatric malpractice and hospital malpractice, all kinds of crazy things are happening to patients in psychiatric hospitals because they're not having, they're not being well enough staffed. Um, patients are getting raped. Patients are getting beaten up. I mean, there's just not, some hospitals, not all hospitals, this goes, this goes to what you say about finding good hospitals, but, um, and, and certainly, um, psychiatrists, you know, they're, they're not, so many psychiatrists are not doing therapy anymore, which is w- one of my top pet peeves. I do not see pe- people, um, patients just for mid-visits. You know, mid-visits weren't around when I was trained, and they shouldn't be around today because um, patients get lost. You cannot see a patient for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and tell them, ask them about side effects and, and prescribe medications, um, and that's being a psychiatrist. That's helping their psychological problems. It's doing nothing except, you know, getting people... Um, addicted to some of the medications, anti-anxiety medications, for example, and just throwing more medications at them when um, they don't seem to respond to what, they, what you gave them in the first place. And people are, su- are killing themselves in between. Then they give them an appointment for a month or two months or three months down the line. And in between, people kill themselves. They kill others. Um, all kinds of horrible things happen. So psychiatry is going down the tubes. And it is really... Um, really upsetting to me to see this happen. It's been happening over the past decade, and and ergo, that's why there's this trend in um, more psychiatric malpractice cases. And it's really, it's just really sad. Well, I think we're seeing changes in physicians. Uh, the physician attitude towards the patient is changing. It's been changing as a result of private insurance changes and health care reform, and because of public changes like the Affordable Care Act. Doctors are more stressed, they're not paying as much attention, they're not able to spend as much time, and they're relying on nurse practitioners and physician assistants. And sometimes those nurse practitioners and physician assistants give a lot of time and thought to patients. Some of them are very, very good, and others are just poorly trained and do not give good care. So a listener today needs to say to the doctor, are you using a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant? Are they well-trained? And will you be there to answer questions when the nurse practitioner or the physician assistant is stumped or doesn't have a good enough answer for me? Can I request to see you and not just have to put up with what the nurse practitioner or physician assistant tells me? And if the doctor says, yes, you can see me when you need to and when when you're not having enough attention by the uh, or answers by the uh, nurse practitioner, then that's a good relationship between the doctor and the nurse practitioner. On the other hand, if you never see the doctor, that's pretty dangerous, and it might be time to consider a second opinion or changing your where you get your care. So, uh, in the book, we have uh, I have a uh, mini test with is this the doctor right doctor for you, and it deals with a lot of different areas such as their reputation, uh, how they seem to you in terms of how much they, attention they give you, how they communicate with you, how bright they are. Do they seem to get it and do they seem to understand all the options that you've read about in the magazines or in the Internet? Uh, and how willing are they to actually listen to you? So there are lots of little questions that can help you to assess whether the doctor's the right doctor for you. But remember, doctors are changing in other ways too. They're getting very frustrated 
And they may not, even though the doctor may have been the right doctor for you in the past, the doctor may be changing before your very eyes and no longer listening to you. The doctor may have developed conflicts of interest where they're treating you the way an insurance company wants you to be treated or the way they want to treat you in order to use their laboratory or their uh, imaging center rather than the way you really need to be treated. So you have to be aware of these types of factors, and the office staff can let you know if the doctor may have conflicts of interest or at least whether they own a a laboratory or an imaging center uh, or a surgical center uh, or even a hospital for for some time. Yes, you know, I, I, and and it isn't really. Um, I mean, doctors do, doctors are changing, and it's not that they want to change. Um, it's just that they didn't go into medicine to to go into a uh, a, a nationalized, um, socialized healthcare system, and and to have um, bureaucrats or insurance company people tell them how to practice medicine, and that's really frustrating because most doctors do have the patient's interests at heart. And and that's why this has been so frustrating, not to mention that they're resorting to all these, uh, I mean, still this is, these are, this is a minority, but some, do, well, I don't know how much of a minority it is anymore, but uh, I guess a growing minority, but um, they're resorting to things like what you're saying, these conflicts of interest, you know, um, as a way of bringing in additional money, things that they wouldn't have done five years ago, um, but but they, many of them are going bankrupt. So could you speak to that? Well, I've seen uh, some of my colleagues going bankrupt. I've seen many of my colleagues selling their practices to hospitals. I've seen my colleagues joining larger networks. Uh, and I've seen some of my colleagues just moving out of the state because one state might have uh, poorer reimbursement patterns than another state. So we see a lot of this. But there's, there's other conflicts of interest, too, because... The doctors today really need to keep up their contracts with insurance companies. So if I'm in practice, I want to make certain I have a contract with Blue Cross and a contract with Aetna and a contract with Humana and United Healthcare, etc. And sometimes doctors in their contracts have the image that if I order therapy that's too expensive, if I order therapy that the doc that the insurance company doesn't want me to order, I'm going to be at risk of losing my contract. And it's a very real fear and it's a very appropriate mm-hmm. fear in many circumstances. So suddenly Mrs. Jones, the patient, might need a treatment X, but that's expensive. So the doctor may say, we're going to make do with treatment Y, mm-hmm. even though I think you need X, because the insurance plan will like me more if I use the less expensive treatment Y. Mm-hmm. So you have to be aware that you can find out information about are you getting the standard of care for every disease, uh, whether it's a real uh, disease in oncology or a disease regarding surgery or a disease requiring mental health uh, interventions. Uh, any of these diseases have standards of care that are national, that have been approved by national expert uh, societies uh, of, uh, of physicians. And you can find these out on the Internet, and there are references to them in lots of different places, including my book. And you can find out what the standard of care is, and you can say, gee, am I getting that standard of care or not? The other thing is the patients today 
can go to support groups. They can go to health organizations like the American Heart Association, uh, like the American Diabetes Association, the American uh, Cancer Society, and they can find out from discussing with other patients what other patients are being treated with. Yes, and that's you can very say, why good. Am I not, why am I not getting X or Y? Uh, and, and ask those specific questions to your doctor. Yes. And if the doctor fudges, and says, well, I uh, don't know, or, well, uh, that's not what I think you need, maybe it's time for you to get a second opinion yes, yes, absolutely. with another doctor. Absolutely. Well, we need to take another break. Uh, this is so interesting, really important stuff. My guest uh, is Dr. Carrie Prezant. His book is Surviving American Medicine. We need to take a break, but we will be right back. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, Tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about surviving American medicine with my guest, Dr. Carrie Prezant, the author of Surviving American Medicine, How to Get the Right Doctor, Right Hospital, and Right Treatment with Today's Healthcare. Um, one of the things that I started uh, asking the doctor about during the break was, because it's another one of these things, one of my pet peeves, um, is reading in the news about uh, some group of doctors, you know, some, with some official sounding title, um, that uh, declare that um, we don't need mammograms every year uh, or we don't need PSA tests for prostate cancer um, every year or, or you don't have to treat prostate cancer with uh, you know, aggressively. There are a lot of men who you don't have to... I mean, you know, and it is so clear to me just because, you know... <laughs> 
Well, because I've been around as far I've been around, and um, and that this is just us. These are doctors are set up um, to say these things because as a way of cutting down expenses. You know, especially now with the Affordable Care Act, if everybody goes for a mammogram every year, wow, or a PSA test. I mean, you know, these things get more and more expensive, and they say there are no death panels, but obviously there are. So it's all, you know, it just bothers me, though. It was like it was like when I was in a resident, and I first found out about how some doctors um, who are doing research are getting paid by the by the drug companies to say that this research or this new pill is the best thing in town. I mean, you know, it was kind of like it was really disillusioning to me. And so this is the same thing, except even worse, because it's really preventing people from getting the the uh, screening and the treatment that they need. Well, the first thing we have to tell you, say is that uh, mammograms uh, can either be a screening mammogram where a woman has no symptoms whatsoever and is just being done automatically uh, on an annual basis starting at age 40 or age 50. Uh, that's a screening mammogram. A woman who has any symptom at all in their breasts, a little discomfort, a little pain, oh, it doesn't does it just feel like it did before, they need a diagnostic mammogram. And so that's absolutely crucial to have that done. Screening mammograms and screening PSA tests for men for prostate cancer, these are controversial nowadays because some studies have said, look, this does not increase length of life and it does not uh, result in a higher cure rate. Uh, But there are other studies that have shown that it definitely does increase the cure rate and it definitely does decrease the impact of breast cancer or prostate cancer on women or men. In my particular practice, and looking at all the results of everything that has been done, I think that we are dealing with the impact of trying to control healthcare costs without looking at the logical aspects of doing these screenings. These screenings save women a lot of unnecessary mastectomies. If you don't diagnose a breast cancer, it will get diagnosed later on if you don't screen for it. And when it's diagnosed later on, it will be bigger. It will be much more likely to require a mastectomy. If you do not screen for prostate cancer, prostate cancers will be diagnosed when they are more advanced and more widespread, and patients may die from the widespread prostate cancer rather than taking care of it when it is smaller. Now, if cancer of the prostate is diagnosed when it is very small, we can, in a biopsy to, to find out if it really is prostate cancer, we can know if it's a bad-acting cancer that needs to be treated very aggressively or very right away, or if it's a very slow-growing cancer, and then a patient can discuss with the doctor whether they want it treated or just watched very carefully. But watching it carefully is much different than neglecting to make the diagnosis at the beginning. Similarly, with women with uh, breast cancer diagnosed early because they have a screening mammogram, it means that a cancer can be treated with very little impact on the cosmetic effect on the breast, very little impact, won't require a mastectomy, won't require more intensive therapy. But if you let it get bigger because you failed to do a mammogram, then it may require a mastectomy and may require much more intensive treatments than ever before. 
So why are we in this dilemma where we're hearing you shouldn't get a mammogram or you shouldn't get a PSA test? I think it's because we're so concerned about the cost of care in the United States that insurance companies and the government have said, wait a minute, we want to control costs by doing less tests. And the mammogram and the PSA are tests that we can do less of, perhaps. I disagree with that. I think women, men need to uh, discuss with their doctors uh, whether or not they should be starting their PSAs and their breast cancer screening mammography uh, at appropriate times. And for in my practice, I recommend mammography at age 40 once a year, and I recommend in men a PSA starting at age 50 or if there's any family history of prostate uh, cancer uh, starting at age 40 so that uh, so that patients can know if there's something that needs to be watched or needs to be treated. Uh, it's the most logical thing that gives people more confidence in the future. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and I guess that these are some of the things also that uh, when, when doctors sell their practices and join uh, a hospital, these would be some of the things, you know, the hospital's, of course, want the insurance companies to like them, so they're even more, uh, they try to please even more. Absolutely. You've got to be very careful about those things. And that's the reason that second opinions are so very, very important. If a doctor says, oh, you don't need a mammogram, and you listen to all the dialogue and the controversy, you'd best say, well, you know, maybe I need a second opinion to find out if I really do need a mammogram. And maybe my doctor is saying that for reasons that aren't in my best interest, but they're for the healthcare system in general. You know, healthcare reform, we have the best healthcare system in the world if we get all the, all the medicine that we need and we get all the tests we need and all the treatments we need and all the prevention that we need. But we have difficulty sometimes accessing all of that because of lack of insurance, because of uh, mistakes that doctors make, because doctors may have conflicts of interest, because the healthcare system doesn't approve things that we really do need. So healthcare reform deals with the government trying to make that better, the insurance companies trying to make that better. We have to be certain that we have a doctor on our side as patients, that it, it, that doctor is protecting us from bad decisions by the healthcare system. Yes, absolutely, and that makes it more important than ever now today is what you're saying, and that's why you wrote this book. <laughs> and absolutely. The book. Well, I wrote this book because I keep on getting these questions all the time, and I see people who are trying to make decisions that I don't have information yeah, about the yeah. tips and the questions they need. Well, let me um, tell people the title again, and, and you can tell them also uh, they can go to the website, um, Surviving a Medicine survivingamericanmedicine.com and again the title is Surviving American Medicine How to Go Get the Right Doctor, Right Hospital and Right Treatment with Today's Healthcare and where would you um, is there any place else that you would like to send them to send my uh, list well, well Surviving American Medicine uh, is available at bookstores if they don't have it in they can order it for you it's available at amazon.com barnesandnoble.com iuniverse.com uh, and at the website, survivingamericanmedicine.com, uh, you can get more tips and more information that supplement that which is in the book. And with that, it can make the difference between surviving and not surviving. So get the right advice and make certain that you get the best health care possible. Well, that's, that's great advice. And thank you very much, Dr. Carrie Prezant. 
And thank you all for listening. Uh, today you found out a little bit more about how to survive, and that's something that's on the top of our heads today, wondering about it's not so easy in this uh, world today, but we can, it can be easier if we get the good advice. So thank you, Dr. Present. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.